The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today's message was preached on Saturday, March 19th, 2022, at Zion Primitive Baptist Church's annual meeting. Elder Ronald Lawrence, pastor of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Goodlettsville, Tennessee, was our invited minister, and today he deals with the account of the Good Samaritan and asks the question, Who is my neighbor? You know, this question impacts our discipleship, for Christ requires us to love our neighbor. The lawyer in this account asks the question, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives this demonstration using a Samaritan of all people. I hope you, like me, will be both convicted and encouraged by the message by Brother Ronald Lawrence. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
this morning I'd like to bring your attention to a portion of scripture found in the book of Luke chapter 10 beginning verse 25. It's Luke 10 25. We're finding on this occasion where it says and a certain lawyer stood up and he said to the Lord master what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now to those who are really schooled and drilled and established in the doctrine of grace uh, you might look at that question a little bit differently uh, than maybe you should. Uh, I think the most important subject in the Bible is the subject of eternal life. Amen. And uh, this man came to the Lord with this question. Now, remember, this man had never heard gospel preaching like you heard this morning. Uh, the Lord's gospel church had not been established as you have it here today. Uh, he did not have the New Testament to read as you have today. And the Jewish system was a system of works in that day, and the Jewish people uh, had the Jewish religion of Ju Judaism, the law, et cetera, et cetera. So this man comes to the Lord with this question. He says, Master, what good thing can I do? What good thing can I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is not the first time this question has been asked to the Lord. Well, not the only time. We'll go a few chapters later to chapter 18, the Gospel of Luke, and we find a certain ruler came to the Lord, and he asked him exactly the same question. And the Lord replied differently to each man, but taught him the same lesson. Here in Luke chapter 10, this lawyer who stood up, and when we talk about a lawyer here, we're not talking about the kind of lawyer that Brother Tim and Brother Chris are. Uh, we're talking about a lawyer who had expertise in the law of the Old Testament, in the law of Moses. That's the kind of lawyer under consideration. Of course, when I read about this lawyer and lawyer in the New Testament, it does always remind me of a story of two lawyers in court, and one lawyer jumped up and called the other lawyer a liar. And that lawyer got mad and jumped up and called that other lawyer uh, a thief. And so then the judge spoke up and said, well, since these lawyers have identified themselves, we, we shall now proceed on with the case. Now, I think lawyers and preachers uh, receive the most amount of jokes and stories anybody I know of. If you're a lawyer preacher, you get a double portion of it. <laughs> so anyway, this certain lawyer, not, not all lawyers, but this certain lawyer came and this is his question. And the Lord... Um, use a strategy that's become very, very well known of answering a question with a question. He says, how is it written in the law? How readest thou? He replied to his question with two questions. And the lawyer then replied, he says, well, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy strength, and all thy might, and love thy neighbor as thyself. He says, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Now, the Lord wasn't telling him that he could actually do that. If he could do that and keep the law to total perfection, then he, he could do that and live. But I believe this lawyer knew within himself he had not done those two things to total perfection. In fact, it says the lawyer, when he asked him this question, tempted the Lord. It wasn't even a sincere question. It was a, a question that was designed to try to ensnare the Lord, to entrap the Lord, to tempt the Lord, to try the Lord. And the Lord, of course, in his divine wisdom, I was not defeated in this. He just asked him a question with these two questions, and it settled the issue. We notice here he moves on to, another, to the, about the neighbor part. But the Bible makes it very clear. We have the benefit and the advantage of, of the entire Bible, of the, of the New Testament. 
And, and we know by studying the New Testament, again, if we're established in the doctrine of grace, that there's nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. There's nothing you can do to do that. We have verses like Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 2 Timothy 1 and 9, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. You know, here are three verses. Not by works, not by works, not by works, it's not of yourselves, etc. I don't know how the message could be any plainer to people if they just read it and, and pay attention to it. So there's nothing we can actually do, but there are those who... Uh, believe that they can keep certain things, and by keeping those certain things, they indeed can inherit eternal life. But we look at the book of James, chapter 2 and verse 10, and James tells us that whosoever keepeth the whole law, and offends in one point, he's guilty of all. There's never been a man that's lived on this earth that was able to keep the whole law and not offend at least one point other than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Galatians, Paul combated this error time and time again. He says, with the works of the flesh and Works of uh, flesh shall no works of the law rather shall no flesh be justified in his sight. And those that are bent on keeping the law, he says, it's written, cursed is everyone that continues not in all things in the book of the law to do them. If you're going to live by the law, you've got to live by every law that's in the book, and you've got to do it perfectly. And uh, no man's ever been able to do that except the Lord Jesus Christ. But thankful Paul went on there in Galatians chapter 3 that said, For the Lord Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, for as it is written, Cursed every man that hangeth upon a tree. The Lord Jesus Christ took care of that. He satisfied the law to a jot and a tittle, crossed all T's, dotted all I's, and uh, therefore the Lord's Spirit has been delivered from the curse of the law. So this lawyer quickly shifts here and says, Well, then who is my neighbor? And this is the question that leads the Lord in to give us a story of what's referred to as the Good Samaritan. So he said, well, then who is my neighbor? And the Lord's going to give a biblical definition of a neighbor that's quite different than what we normally think about. If you ask me who my neighbor is, I'd probably tell you the man's name that lives on this side of me, the man's name that lives on that side of me, the man's name that lives across the street or whatever. And you know, a good neighbor this day and age is somebody that stays in his own yard, in his own house, and never bothers you, and you never bother him. And that's why they call a good neighbor. You know, he minds his business, I mind my business, we wave, we know. Somebody says, well, what's his name? He said, well, to tell you the truth, I can't even think of his name right now. But I tell you, he's a good fella, he just stays to himself. <laughs> now, that's the kind of neighbor that most people think about. But the Lord's going to give us a definition of a neighbor that's quite different than that. And so the Lord is going to reply to him. He said, there was a, a certain man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, we notice the expression here that this man went down. If you look on the map, you see that Jericho is above Jerusalem. It's to the north of Jerusalem. And if uh, I live in uh, Goodersville, Tennessee, around the north edge of Nashville, but uh, when we got ready to come here, I didn't tell anybody, well, we're, we're going up to Alabama. No, I said, well, we're going down, down to Gordo, Alabama, because you're south of where I'm at. If I was going to go to uh, Cincinnati, or somewhere like that, I wouldn't tell people I'm going down to Cincinnati. I tell them I'm going up to Cincinnati because it's to the north of me. Well, Jericho is to the north of Jerusalem. But the scripture says when he left Jerusalem, he went down to Jericho. Now, that first time that expression is used, going down, is found in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. It applies to Abraham. 
and Abraham had been called of God out of the land of the earth of the Chaldees uh, to leave where he was at and go to a land that God was going to show him. And by faith, we're told Abraham did just exactly that. He left that land. He follows the Lord. He goes to a land he'd never seen. Uh, he didn't have opportunity like we might have to go somewhere we've never been. And we get out books and we look at pictures and we study it and this, that, and the other, familiarize ourselves with it. Abraham didn't have that opportunity. He didn't have that benefit. He just simply did what the Lord said. He left the land of the earth of Chaldees and he went down to the land of Canaan. And he settled in there. But then a famine came. And when the famine came, we find what the Bible says that Abraham went down into Egypt. He left the land of promise. He left the land that God had promised to bless him in. And he left there because of a famine. Everything is not perfect in the Lord's church. Everything is not perfect in the kingdom of God. But I can guarantee you this. If you leave here, you go down. Amen. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 30, it says, Woe to those that go down into Egypt. Chapter 31 says, well, it goes to go down to Egypt for help. And I was blessed to go to Egypt a number of years ago. And uh, I was calling my wife, and she said, well, you know, the people here at Little Union, that's where I was at at the time, I said to tell you that the Bible says, woe to those that go down to Egypt. I said, well, they didn't read the rest of that verse. It says, woe to those that go down to Egypt for help. I said, I'm not down here for help. I'm down here to sightsee. I'm down here to look around, you know. <laughs> I'm not coming down here for help, trust me. But see, Egypt in the Bible is a picture of bondage, it's a picture of darkness, it's a picture of captivity, it's a picture of sin, it's a picture of death. It's exactly what it's a picture of. And when you go away from where the Lord has established His truth, where the Lord has set up His gospel church and gospel kingdom, you leave that place, you're always going down. You're never going to go up. Amen. Never are you going to go up. So he went down to Jericho. Now, these two cities, Jericho and Jerusalem, they both begin with the letter J, but that's about where what they have in common ends. Jerusalem is perhaps the most important city that's ever been upon, upon the face of this earth for different reasons. It was a city that God had chosen, a city that God had appointed way back hundreds of years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to place his name there and to place also in there the temple of God, a place of divine worship where the Jewish people would come there and worship God according to his laws and according to his commandments. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 34 and 35, the Lord Jesus Christ tells his disciples to let you yea be yea and you nay nay. He says, Swear not by heaven, which is God's throne, nor all this earth, which is God's footstool, nor by Jerusalem, which is the city of the great king. He said, Jerusalem is a city of the great king. He's not talking about an earthly king here. He's talking about King Jesus. He's talking about that one who's Lord of lords and king of kings. Psalms 48.1, great is the Lord and great to be praised in the city of our king. He's talking about Jerusalem right here. And part of the word Jerusalem is Salem, which means peace. Melchizedek was the king of Jerusalem. He was the king of peace, the king of righteousness, for example. So this is a special place. This is a place where God chose. God chose this place to put his name, chose this place where they come and worship him according to divine specifications. It was a place of the prophets, a place of the kings. It was a place where the offering sacrifices were made. And in just a short time after this conversation the Lord had here with this lawyer, it would be a place where the Lord Jesus Christ would be crucified. He'd be buried, he'd be, and he would be uh, risen again after three days and three nights. Uh, this is the place where the Lord Jesus Christ redeemed his people from their sins. Jerusalem is a very special place. When you leave Jerusalem, you're going down. You're always going down. Now, Jericho uh, is a city of palm trees. It's the oldest city uh, in, in existence in the world. 
It was a great fortified city that God blessed Israel to conquer when they went across the Red Sea, excuse me, Jordan's River into the land of Canaan. It was the first fortified city. It was a great test. It's where they went around the city one time a day for six days. On the seventh day, they went around seven times. On the seventh time, when they did what the Lord said, the walls of that city come tumbling down. They followed God's plan uh, to a T. They crossed their T's and dotted their eyes. It's one of the strangest plans I've ever seen or ever read about in my life. But the commander-in-chief gave the directions and the plan, and they stuck with it, and they won a victory. Amen. So most people think about Jericho that way. But when they defeated Jericho and the walls came down, Jer uh, Joshua put a curse upon this city. He put a curse upon this city. So this man, when he left Jerusalem to go down to Jericho, he left a city of great blessing, a city of the great king, to go down to an accursed city. I emphasize one more time today, when you leave the word of God, when you leave God's church, when you leave God's kingdom, no matter what the reason might be, you're never going up, you're always going down. And everything about God is always up. Over here in the psalmist, uh, you know, writes in Psalms 121 verse 1, he says, I look Unto, I look up, I lift up mine eyes unto the hills which cometh my help. Where, where, where's this help from, come from? From the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. I lift up mine eyes, where? To the hills. In the very next psalm, he says, I was going to members of one church on Sunday. I see him in Walmart on Monday. I always tell them what a great meeting we had. <laughs> I always tell them how much I missed them and, uh, uh, you know, and everything. And, uh, and I just really, I mean, I poured on thick. And it was that's probably the best meeting we've had in five years. You know, I mean, the windows was rattling, the shingles were shaking. I mean, the Holy Spirit was there right now. I mean, it's blessing beyond comprehension. I mean, it was just, uh, well, you should have been there. I'm telling you, you just missed it. You should, should have been there. And of course, it usually don't do any good. But anyway, uh, it's not for lack of effort on my part. I'll tell you that now, you know. But uh, the writer also tells us in Psalms 125, verse 2, he says, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about Jerusalem, uh, around Jerusalem uh, with his people henceforth and forever. There's a special protection I believe the Lord's, have, the Lord's people have when they draw nigh to the Lord and understand the purpose of his gospel church and they're involved in the kingdom, involved in the church. Just like this morning, I feel a, a safety and a peace that I don't feel outside uh, this service today. I don't feel it out here in the world. So this man was in Jerusalem. He's in the place of safety. He's in the place of a city that God had chosen, a very special city. And he leaves that city and he goes down to Jericho. And on the way down to Jericho, he's met by thieves. And that's what you find out here in the world, brethren. <laughs> we live in a world of thieves, i tell you that. Uh, we live in a place where people will rob you blind in many different ways. The Lord Jesus Christ was constantly associated with thieves. In John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the door of the sheepfold. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. He said, a thief is nothing but someone who's here to steal and to kill and, and to take. He said, my father's house, you've turned into a den of thieves. And it's written, my father's house should be called the house of prayer. It was a den of thieves. And the Lord Jesus Christ took a scourge of cords and went in there. And he drove them all out and he overturned the table of the money changers. And you may have never really thought much about this, but the Lord didn't enlist a small army to do that. The Lord didn't even get his disciples to go with him in there to do that. The Lord went in there personally, individually, right by himself, and he drove them out and overturned the table of the money changers. He made a great declaration, this is my father's house. You turn to the den of thieves, but it should be called the house of prayer. To me, that's one of the overlooked miracles in the Bible. There's a lot of miracles. It's clearly miracles, but there's a lot of overlooked miracles in the Bible. And this is one of them right here. How could one man have that kind of power and that strength? But he did. But he did. 
And when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, I believe two men were crucified with him, both who were thieves, one on each side. And so he went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He's met by thieves, and they strip him of his garments. They wound him, and they depart from him, leaving him half dead. Now, I suppose half dead is better than uh, being all dead. And if you're half dead, at least you're half alive. But I'm telling you, the bottom line is he was in bad shape. He's in terrible shape, terrible condition. And they just left him laying there. And I believe no one had come along later on. Thankfully, someone did. But, uh, I believe he'd have just died right there. But the Bible speaks about not only being half dead, but the Bible speaks about being dead. And a lot of people don't quite understand that. When Adam transgressed God's law, death came into this world. Romans 5 and 12. Wherefore, by one man, sin came into the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for all is sinned. Now, here, men speak about it. Man just got injured in the fall. He just got sick in the fall. He was put in ICU in the fall. <laughs> no, no, it was a lot worse than that. You know, being sick and being dead are two different things. Now, I've been so sick sometimes, I thought I was half dead or dead, but, you know, thankfully I was not. So, that's a death that passed upon all men. There's no exceptions to that. There's, here's one time the word all is used, and there's no exceptions to it. A lot of times there's exceptions to it. Somebody told me one time they gave me a text and wanted to explain to it. had the word all in it. And they said, Brother Lawrence, I want to know if this all really means all or not. <laughs> he had heard Primitive Baptist speak about the word all, you know, is not all we mean without exception, but without extinction, distinction. Well, this word all here is without exception. Wherefore, but one man... Sin into the world, come out Adam, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men for all the sin. There are no exceptions to that. No exceptions. Ephesians 2, 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and sin. Who does God quicken when he quickens? He quickens the dead, does he not? So there are those who are dead, and then there's those who are, are half dead. But I'm reading the book of Jude about some people that's twice dead. And you read about these people that were clouds without water. You know, there are trees uh, that were out fruit, plucked up by the roots. They were rootless and fruitless. And I might say they were also ruthless. These are the kind of people he's describing right here. And he says they're twice dead. Why in the world can you be twice dead? Well, by nature, we're all dead in trespass and sins till we're quickened into divine life by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I read over here in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6 where it says, Blessed and holy those who have part in the first resurrection, which the second death hath no power. Now I believe the Lord's family, the elect family of God, have part in what the Bible calls the first resurrection. I believe this is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. Uh, he is the only one who resurrected himself. He's the only one to be resurrected not to die again. And in his death, burial, and resurrection, we have a part. His death, burial, and resurrection, we were represented 2,000 years ago. And the second death will have no power over you. That second death is identified several verses later as the lake of fire. There is a lake of fire, the second death. And those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life shall be cast in the lake of fire. The second death is their lot. But those who have part in the first resurrection, the second death hath no power. There are some people who are twice dead. And I think sometimes there are those who are dead in trespass and sins to their quick and into divine life. And they're dead to the benefits of the gospel. They're dead to the benefits of the gospel church. Regardless of what you might think about it, here's somebody that's twice dead. Now, the question oftentimes is asked, you know, a person who's dead in trespass and sin, what can a dead man do? What can a dead man do? 
I don't believe a dead man, generally speaking, can do anything to you. Uh, you got a cemetery here, right? I mean, you can't be at all, you're dead to live at church without a cemetery, right? <laughs> so we got a cemetery here. And you go to that cemetery and you read somebody's name on the tombstone, you call their name, you can offer them this, that, and the other, and you're not going to get a response because the dead cannot do anything. The dead cannot respond, right? And those who are dead and trust by sin cannot respond to anything that's spiritual whatsoever. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, A natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for the foolish unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, the natural man has a not problem. He receiveth not. According to the Lord Jesus Christ in his conversation with Nicodemus, the natural man seeth not. And the Lord said in John 8 and 44 that they hear not. In 847, you understand not. So man, by nature, receives not, sees not, hears not. He's just got a not problem. I'm talking about an N-O-T problem. He's got a, a will that's not. The Lord said, you will not come unto me. That's man's problem. He's got a will not problem, a see not problem, a hear not problem, understand not problem, receive not problem. It's kind of like an AM radio, an FM radio. It's the way I kind of illustrate it. You know, if you've got an AM radio, don't try to get an FM station. Because you'll just waste your time trying to get an FM station with an AM radio. AM radio can only receive AM signals. And the natural man can only receive AM signals. He cannot get the spiritual FM signals till he's been born in the Spirit of God. Now he's got an AM and an FM receiving set. I mean, just try it. Of course, I doubt you'd find AM radio anymore. You know, I don't guess they exist. If you do, you better hold on to it. It might be worth a lot of money down the road. So that's man's problem. This man here is left half dead. But what can a dead man do? I did find one thing that a dead man can do. Actually, two things. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, in dealing with the subject of discipleship, there's a man who says, I'll follow you whithersoever thou goest. He said, but first of all, I need to go bury my father. And the Lord said, let the dead bury the dead. So there's a category of people that are dead to the things that you're alive to. Just let them take care of things like that. The Lord wasn't being disrespectful about it. But he said, let the dead bury the dead. So there's somebody that's dead who actually can bury the dead. And the other thing the dead can do, they can vote. They do it every year at election time. <laughs> That's one thing they can do. They, they actually do it. I mean, every year when you have an election, there's X amount of people who voted, and they've been in the grave in the cemetery for years. But when it comes to obtaining eternal life, do anything to obtain eternal life, the dead man can't do anything. And you think that's, that's elementary, isn't it? That's fundamental, isn't it? A dead man just simply cannot do anything. If he's natural and not spiritual, he cannot do anything. He's not even interested in things that's spiritual. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.